Turn back to chapter 3 of Romans, if you would. I'm going to continue our study in the book of Romans. In God's providence, we have a, a great text for um, Reformation Day. But I'm going to read from verses 9 to verse 20. And we've seen Paul already. We've seen his introduction to the book. We've seen him give us his thesis statement. What is Romans about? It's about this, verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith and for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That's his, what he's expanding upon. And he began in verse 18 of chapter 1 for the rest of that chapter, exposing Gentile guilt and how the Gentiles have fallen short, how the Gentiles need a Savior. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, he begins to show how the Jews need a Savior, that they too have fallen short and can't stand on their own merit at the judgment. And so we're sort of finishing up our section on Jewish guilt, including the Gentiles in that in way of summary. Paul will quote the scriptures, uh, the Old, Old Testament scriptures that back this up, and then he will apply it in verses 19 and 20. But this morning we're going to look at verses 9 to 12, and I want to read from 9 to 20. What then? Are we Jews any better off? Not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave and they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood and in their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Thus far God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself. We thank you that you have revealed your law, that you have revealed your gospel, that you have given us everything necessary for life and godliness, Lord. Being justified, being sanctified, having your word and your spirit to apply that word to our hearts in Christ Jesus. We have everything necessary. Help us to believe that. Help us to trust you, to love you, to look to you, to cry out to you, to feed us, Lord, and to trust you to do so. Help me to preach your word in the power of the Spirit.
for the glory of your name and the good of your people. Help us to hear your word in the power of the Spirit as your word and to believe it and trust you and make the necessary course corrections in our life that we might live lives of repentance. Help us, Lord, as we look into your word. Bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. Lift high your son. Draw all kinds of people to yourself. Bring to faith those who don't know you and grow in grace those of us who do. Shape our theology, Lord. May we know you and your truth better as a result of looking into this part of your word. We give you praise and ask for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. George Washington had wooden teeth. Elephants are afraid of mice. Touching a toad will give you warts. Cracking your knuckles will cause arthritis. Bananas grow on trees. Ostriches stick their heads in the sand when they're scared. And you will get cramps if you swim right after you eat. These are all commonly held beliefs that are not true. What we call myths. A myth is a widely held but false belief. And we have many myths in the realm of theology as well. God helps them that help themselves. You will find that in 2 Ben Franklin. God will never give you more than you can bear. Every day He will that you might lean on Him. Hard things are not from God. Wrong. You really want to live in a world that's out of control? Out of God's control? God hates the sin but loves the sinner. Read Psalm 5 and other, other texts. Might have struggled with that one, but... The, today the myth I want to attack is the belief that people seek God without being born again. The myth that they are God-seekers out there that are seeking God on their own initiative. Whole errant church theology is developed based on having seeker-sensitive models. I've told you before that we are seeker-sensitive. There's one seeker, and it is God. And we try to be sensitive to Him and do worship the way He tells us to do it. So we've seen Paul develop the case that both Jew and Gentile are are sinners and need a Savior. And today we're going to look at verses 9 through 12 and talk about the myth of the God seeker. And try to make that make sense in light of Scripture. But here's the main point. two Sort of two aspects of one point. Take seriously the fact that all are born under sin and abandon the myth that anyone seeks God on their own. First, take seriously the fact that all are born under sin. Look back at verses 9 and 10. As Paul is sort of summing up his case, he's going to show that Scripture agrees 
And then he's going to apply it, and we'll do, we'll do some of that. We'll do part of this list today. But he says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? By nature, the Jew is no better off. Right? The Jew had more privileges than the Gentile. The Jew had some blessings the Gentiles didn't have. We've already seen that. They had the written law. They had circumcision. They had the priesthood. They had the covenants. But by nature, the Jew is no better and the Jew did the same thing with the light they had that the Gentile did. And that was not take it seriously. So that he says, not at all. No, not at all. For we have already charged. This is a charge through the Apostle Paul, but this is a charge from God. Don't miss that. This is, this is God's word. And we're, we're familiar with this charge. He says, we've already charged in what he's already said that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. Nobody has ever lived since Adam short of Jesus Christ, the God-man, the Savior. Nobody has ever lived and been born and from cradle to grave glorified God in thought, word, and deed. Nobody has ever kept His law in thought, word, and deed. Nobody has ever always thought the right thing and never thought the wrong thing. And always said the right thing and never said the wrong thing. And always done the right thing and never done the wrong thing. In fact, we've always done the wrong thing and thought the wrong thing. And at least said the wrong thing in our minds and mostly said the wrong thing. He says this, embrace this. We've already charged, we've shown you, Scripture states, Scripture proves this case, that everyone, are Jew and Greek, the world to the Jew is Jew and Gentile. Right? Jew and Greek are all under sin. So let's think about that for a minute. What does it mean to be under sin? Because this is important to the case. He's saying, he didn't say it in this way that he'll say later all have sinned. Or the way we say all are sinners, right? And he, say, he says, everyone is under sin. Jew and Gentile. Everyone who's ever been born since Adam, except for Christ, this is true of. So what does it mean to be under sin? And there's a lot we could say, but I think two important things we ought to say this morning. The first thing that it means to be under sin is to be under the reign of sin. To be under the control and power of sin. In other words, if we are lost, sin reigns over us. We're, we're under sin's rule. We're owned by it. Why? Because we love it. The natural man doesn't love truly honoring God and glorifying God. To be under sin is to be owned by it. It's to be in slavery to it. It's to be following the course of this world and the prince of the power of the air. What, by the way, what do you have to do to follow Satan? Do you have to dress in black and drink blood and sacrifice animals and people? Is that what it means? See, that's the sleight of hand. You follow Satan when you walk in rebellion against God. Jesus said it this way, and the Jews around him didn't, didn't want to own it. But Jesus said this to them in, in John 8, 34. Jesus answered his, his opponents, and he said, truly, truly. Whenever he says that, he's emphasizing repetition, right? 
Listen, this is true. I say to you, now watch this. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Another way of saying that is everyone who practices sin is under sin. To be under sin is to be a slave to it. In Ephesians 2.1, you can go read that later, which is where Paul says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And in, in 1.18 of Romans, suppressing the truth in defense of our sin. Verse 25 of chapter 1, man left to himself will worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator. Now they'll try to bring, they'll try to tip God and bring God into the picture. And, and as much as God will check off their plans and make them comfortable and bless them, they'll have Him. But the person who is not trusting Christ by God's grace is under slavery. And sometimes that slavery looks very refined. We can wear nice clothes and have nice things and outwardly kind of be culturally good. But be in rebellion to God. But the Scriptures teach. No, now don't miss this. I don't want you to miss this. Everybody, all the Jews and all the Greeks, and Greek simply means Gentiles or non-Jews, are under sin. And listen, if we embrace that fact, if we really believe God there, we'll have a lot less trouble as we go down the theological line. If we embrace total depravity, that we're not as bad outwardly as we could be, but sin has infected every part of us. We are as lost as we could be outside of Christ. We might be very religious. You see that in the Jewish leaders. Or very not religious. Or something in between. But if we're not in Christ, then we're in this category of under sin. And we're in some form worshiping the creature, even if it's ourself, rather than the Creator. But the first thing it means to be under sin is to be controlled by it. To love it and be controlled by it. That the choices we make reveal what we love. Man left to himself defaults toward sin. And as I said at the first part of uh, last part of verse 10, the diagnosis from Scripture. And you'll notice it's interesting. The reason we read Psalm 14 is, is Paul is quoting from the first part of Psalm 14 here in these verses when he, none is righteous, no, not one. Look at the end of verse 12. There's kind of a bracket here. No one does good, not even one. None is righteous, none does good. Why? None keeps his law. None love him apart from grace. And listen, when we're reading these verses, don't Billy Goat. That's an old southern preacher said that before I heard. You know what Billy Goats do? They butt. Don't start but, 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 and take other scriptures and try to cancel this out. They all harmonize when we understand what we're saying. But none is righteous, none does good, not even one. They all need a Savior, whether they're a Jew or a Gentile. They can't save themselves. They need someone else to save them, to cleanse them from their sin, to clothe them in righteousness, to make them acceptable to God. That boils all the way down to you if you're not in Christ. God won't hear excuses. God doesn't grade on the curve. 
If you're going to save yourself, you must be perfect in thought, word, and deed from cradle to grave. You must keep the law in perfection your entire life. And I'm not peeping in your windows, but I can tell you, you haven't done that. So don't read this as though we're talking about somebody else at all. It's all we're doing. This is us. Whether you Jew or Gentile, you were born in sin and you need a Savior. And Paul's made that case for Jew and Gentile in Romans. And he's expanding upon it by quoting Scripture now. So he says, none is righteous, no, not one. None understands. None understands. In other words, no one is naturally wise. What wisdom is the opposite of foolishness? What is foolishness? Foolishness is the one that rejects God and His revelation and goes His own way. So the wise one would be the one that accepts God and His revelation and goes His way. And naturally speaking, apart from salvation, no one understands, no one is wise, no one sees things God's way and lives on the basis of that. Jesus said this, and his man left to himself will not come to God. Jesus, Jesus said in John 3, 19 and 20, this is the judgment. We brought this out before. Light has come into the world. Literally in the original, it is the light. It is Jesus. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds be exposed. We're subject to God's condemnation because we have sinned. And all are under sin. Jesus said in John 3, 3, I truly, truly, I say to you, watch this very clearly. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We cannot recognize the kingdom of God unless we've been, but we won't pursue it, but we won't even recognize it. We'll be going our own way. That's Jesus talking. Unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God because you're dead in sin, because none are righteous. Not one. So the natural person, the lost person, the person without the Spirit, Not one of them is righteous. And such were some of you. It's important for you to look first to the Word of God and see what it says before you. Because sometimes we knee jerk when we read scriptures like this, and we just reject them. But this, this is saying to us, and we have a responsibility to embrace it, that everyone is born under sin and is under sin. And none is righteous. None understands. None does good. So will unrighteous people seek God? Will unrighteous people do good and isn't seeking God good? Look at the next point. Abandon the myth that any seek God without being born again. No one understands what's the next part. In verse 11, no one seeks for God. No one, none, really 
truly seek for the true God. Remember, our bent is toward unrighteousness. Our bent is toward sin and if we're outside of Christ. So we choose what pleases us and what is in nature with our slavery to sin. So a, an unrighteous person will never choose righteousness unless their heart is changed. Because they will follow their desires. They may dress it up in religion, but they'll follow their desires and choose what is in accord with who they are and what they are. See, the unrighteous person doesn't seek God for the same reason I don't seek kale. I don't like it. In fact, I despise it. You've heard me call it dirt cabbage before. It's hairy and this. And there's no way to make that good. You can burn it in the oven so that it's crispy and barely recognizable, but it's not good. You put ranch dressing on it, maybe. You could stand it. But we seek what we desire, and unrighteous people don't desire God, and that's why they don't seek Him. I, listen, I'll grant you, many seek to make life better. I'm on a spiritual quest. Well, what are you questing for? I want to understand the deep things. I want to experience the... I want to live. I want to... It's, I, 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 I. So many do seek to life better, better, make life better, and many will claim to be seeking God. And some do truly seek God, but it's because God has sought them first. We'll see that. See, no one understands, he says. No one has true wisdom about God, sin, wrath, and salvation. We're born spiritually blind. True wisdom is characterized by righteousness and obedience to God. So you can see why nobody has it, and therefore nobody seeks God. I'm going to read that real slow. No one seeks for God. Look at it. Look at it. That's the Word of God. You have to decide whether you're going to believe that, but that's the Word of God. And that's Paul quoting Psalm 14, whereas God looked to see if anyone sought Him, and no, not true. Did God have to learn anything, by the way? No. Be careful about our theology. No one seeks for God. And that word, now listen, let's dig a little bit into that. That word for seek is a present tense. It's an ongoing action. It's a diligent, the word means a diligent and careful search for the truth or something else, being open to it. But it's not just a, a, a slight looking. It's a diligent and careful search. No one, no natural person, diligently searches for the true and living God His way unless He's at work in them. See, here the search is for God, and the true seeking of God is diligent and careful and devoted. And Paul's saying, no one does that. Apart, hear me, apart from grace, nobody does that. Without being born again, nobody does that. 
Jesus said you can't even see the kingdom of God unless, unless you're born again. So you're not going to seek what you can't see. None understands, none is righteous, none does good, no one seeks for God. If we're not righteous and we're not good, we're not going to seek God because seeking God is righteous and good. And that's what by nature we've rejected. So it might be a good thing to do right here is to say, what does it look like to seek God? What, what does seeking God look like? What do you mean, Paul? What does Scripture mean when it says seeking God? Well, I, I'll give you a few things that Scripture says about truly seeking God. And this was in context for, of preparing to build the temple. But the first thing true seeking of God is, is focused. It's, to, it's a focused seeking. It's a continual fixing of one's mind and affection on the Lord. Now, y'all know sinners don't do that. 1 Corinthians twenty-two nineteen. 19. Now set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. So it's a setting of the mind. It's a setting of the heart. It's a fixing of the mind and, and, and the affections on the Lord so that we can know Him. And live for Him and live with Him. Number two, it's wholehearted through the means He's provided. Word, prayer, you'll see people fasting, that kind of thing. But Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your spare time. With your leftovers. If you just say, God, reveal yourself to me. If you exist, don't let this pen fall. People do silly stuff like that. No, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Boy, that's going to have to be a different heart than we're born with, isn't it? The sinful heart, the lost heart doesn't do that. And look, so it's a dedicated or focused seeking. It's a wholehearted seeking. Three, it's a repentant seeking. You can see that God has to be at work before seeking is going to take place. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Watch this. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. That has to happen in order to seek God. Let him return to the Lord that He may have compassion on Him and to our God for He will abundantly pardon. You see how repentance is rolled up in seeking the Lord? Turning from our wicked ways. Natural folks don't do that. What do I mean by natural? Those without the Spirit. Those who haven't been converted. Those who are not Christian. 1 Corinthians 2. You can go read that. So it's a repentant seeking as well as being wholehearted and focused. And it's earnest. And this would go along with, with devoted or focused. Psalm 63.1 Oh God, you are my God. Notice there's a claim. Earnestly I will seek you earnestly my soul why my soul thirsts for you my flesh faints for you as in a dry and a weary land where is the water those who are going to seek God are those who have become thirsty for him who have an appetite for him whose hearts have been changed so it's earnest and serious and the last thing I'll point out it is is when we're really seeking God his will is primary When we're just looking for fulfillment, it's us and what we want that we're focused on. 
But if we're seeking God, His will is primary. Look at Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these, the things you need, will be added to you. Seek first as in primarily, preeminently. A first level order seeking is the kingdom of God. Obviously, who is the proto, who is the example of seeking the Lord? Jesus. Right? And you get a little peek into seeking the Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you see all of these serious, focused, not repentance, he didn't need to repent from anything, earnest submission to the will of God. If it's your will, let this cup pass from me. He knew what he was facing. That's why he sweat drops of blood. But look how he finishes up. He says, what does he say? Not my will, but yours be done. That's how we seek the Lord. We come in submission before we know his answer. We don't try to tell God what to do and name it and claim it. You'll see some health and wealth preachers will say this is a faithless prayer. So let's pray your will be done. They're fools who accuse our Savior of praying faithless prayers. I don't want to stand beside them in a thunderstorm or especially at the judgment. Not my will, but yours be done. See, to seek God, we turn to Him in repentance and faith, and we seek His salvation. We seek His will and His glory first, and we find joy there in Him. To seek God is to seek His will over my own, and sometimes that involves pain. Because God's will has included within it some things that I would not have chosen. Putting His, own, His glory over my pleasure is hard. But it's what it means to really seek the Lord. Am I getting, wanting to get Him to fulfill my plans or am I willing to say to Him, Your will be done? And like Christ, nothing will hurt as bad as Christ on the cross. If you don't believe that, you need to study that some. Because not only did Jesus suffer a horrible physical death, He took the wrath of God. He took the hell His people deserve on Him on that cross. And because He was God and man, He could drink it dry. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Job, blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and he takes away. Hard, right? But true. I must submit myself and all that I am to the Lord. What did we sing? Did we sing some lies today? My silver and my gold, not a mite will I withhold. My will, may it be thine. That's seeking the Lord. Now we won't be perfect till we're glorified. But evidence of a true God seeker is a life lived for the glory of the Lord because we have 
adopted Him, His will, as our purpose. And we have lain ours down. Yes, Scripture commands us to seek the Lord, and I could have quoted a bunch of texts today of that. Yes, we see examples in Scripture of people really, truly seeking the Lord God. But just like it commands you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, not one of us has ever done that outside of Christ. And not one of us has ever really even wanted to do that when we were outside of Christ. So God says, seek the Lord, seek me, seek me with your whole heart. When you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me diligently, seek me. And the only, but the only people that actually do that, as Jesus said, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again, are the ones that God's spirit has quickened, has reborn, has given new life. We have faith and repentance because we're born again, not in order to get it. Scripture commands us to seek the Lord. It tells us how to seek Him. It gives us examples of seeking. And some have truly sought Him, especially Jesus. But outside of Jesus, anybody who has sought the Lord has first been sought by Him. Listen, don't lose touch with that text. What did it say? No let sinful people, natural people, those who are under sin, those who are lost and not saved, no one seeks for God. God must do heart surgery on us before we will find our joy, delight in Him and seek Him. And He does that through the gospel. So application, pretty simple. Number one, no one seeks the Lord unless they've first been born again. It's in accord with everything the Bible teaches about sin and salvation. If sinners seek the Lord, it's because God's Spirit has worked in them to give them life. Has the Lord been convicting you of your sin? Has He been causing you to take seriously the fact that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that all need a Savior? Does it make you squirm in your seat? Take it seriously. Let today be the day when you turn to Christ and receive Him because He will turn none away who truly come to Him in the right way with a repentant heart seeking to find Him as their salvation, grieved over their sin. What they used to love, they now hate and they turn from it to trust in Jesus. That's a work of God's Spirit. Please listen to me. Everyone here on the live stream in the recording, turn to the Lord. Repent of your sins and trust in Christ. Why? Because Christ lived to save His people. He was born under His own law and He fulfilled all righteousness in obedience to His word, His law. See, He always thought the right thing. And never thought the wrong thing. He always said the right thing and never said the wrong thing. He always did the right thing and never did the wrong thing. He always loved the Father, sought to glorify Him. It was His food to do the Father's will. And it was His joy to walk in obedience to the law. To glorify the Father, yes, but to provide a righteousness for His people that they did not have. Being the righteous lamb, the spotless, pure lamb of God, he comes to that cross and takes our sin debt upon himself. 
He didn't become a sinner, but he took our guilt and he paid the penalty. He died on the cross. And pick, all of those pictures in the Old Testament of lambs being slain and all those things, the blood covering and taking, that was pointing us to the cross where the Son of God, the Lamb of God, would die to take the penalty His people deserve. Our sin debt was poured out on Him. He died, Scripture says, for our sins. He was buried. And He was raised the third day for our justification, proving it's all true. So that we could, by God's grace, come to Him in faith and receive Him as our Savior. None of us will do that without repenting, turning from self and sin to Him and receiving Him. And none of us will do that without first being born again. Without being born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. The reason we would seek Him is because He has sought us. And it goes farther back than that. If you seek the Lord that because you were given to the Son before the foundation of the world. And that Christ came in fulfillment to all that prophecy and picture in the Old Testament. He came to save His people. He was named Jesus. Why? The angel said, name, is Jesus. name Him Jesus because He might save His people from their sins. He didn't say that. Name Him Jesus because He will save His people from their sins. So He walked in fulfillment of our righteousness. He died to pay the penalty for our sin. He was raised to apply. The Spirit applies that redemption to us through preaching of the gospel. If you will hear it and believe it, it means He's at work in you. Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried and raised the third day. Turn to Him and trust in Him. You can't blame your unbelief on Him if you don't. But if He's at work in you convicting you, don't take that for granted. Turn to Christ today. Seek the Lord while He may be found because the day's coming when He won't be able to be found. When He returns, the door is closed and we will answer before Him. So yes, God calls on people. And indeed, He commands us all to repent and turn to Christ. If you're hearing, that's because you've been given ears to hear. And if you're seeking that, seek Him, that's because He's at work in you. Because left to ourselves, none of us seek God. But see, lost people are not the only ones who are to seek God. God's children are to seek Him. Yes, it's a different way. We're not coming to Him for initial salvation but we still have a responsibility to live lives of seeking Him. Saints are to... And if you're trusting in Jesus, you're a saint. Maybe you come from a Roman Catholic background. You don't have to do miracles and be... If you're trusting it, read Romans, first part. If you're trusting in Jesus, the Bible calls you a saint. That's because you've been cleansed of your sin, you've been clothed in His righteousness, you are now a child of God. Forgiven, free of condemnation. All our failure to seek Him, on Him as well. Saints are to live a life of seeking the Lord and submitting to the Lord. See, it's a hard part, right? R.C. Sproul said it this way, The quest for God, seeking after Him, starts at rebirth. The quest for God, seeking after Him, starts at rebirth. Let's do a thought experiment. And you probably already know the answer because of what I've already said, but don't cheat. Don't cheat. Think the way you normally think on a daily basis and let me ask you a question. What would you say would be 
the good life for you. There goes the theme from Jeopardy. No, seriously, think about that just quickly for a second. What would you say would be the good life for you? It's a seeking test. Am I seeking Him? What is the good life? What would the good life look like for you? Now, if you said to yourself something like this, the good life would be less pain. The good life would be more pleasure. The good life would be more stuff. The good life would be more ease. More of me doing and having. The good life would be not being sick. Do you see how if we say anything like that, we've missed it, biblically speaking? Because we're focused on us. The God-centered life is the good life. The God-seeking life is the good life. Loving, serving, and submitting to God and His plan for my life is the good life. Me being focused on first and foremost honoring and glorifying Him. Me being able to say with Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. And through tears sometimes of loss, being able to say, blessed be in the name of the Lord. I don't understand this. I wouldn't have chosen this. But He gives and He takes away. Blessed be His name. The good life, now watch me, the good life is being satisfied in Him. What does Piper say? God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. By the way, he gets that stuff from Jonathan Edwards. You want to know who to blame. Being satisfied with Him and with what He has given you in Jesus. The stuff you like and the stuff you don't like. The stuff you understand and the stuff you don't. Lifting our eyes above the sun. Remember Ecclesiastes so that we get a picture of who He is. And looking to the cross. The big mystery. He will withhold nothing good from us. It's hard. It's hard because we live in a sinful world. Remember Ecclesiastes. And the, the, the symptoms of this sinful, sinful world are sin and loss and misery and hurt and pain. But if we're true God seekers, we can get above that and see Him. And, and through tears of joy or tears of grief or somewhere in between, we can say, because of that cross, I trust you. I trust you. And look to that cross. Even as a believer, every time you failed to seek Him, Christ paid for that. There's forgiveness. And there's growth in being a God seeker. None of us have it 100% figured out yet. But we're to aim at it and seek to grow in it. Gospel seeking. Exemplified by Jesus and taught by Jesus. What is the fundamental 
thing that we could say about what it means to seek the Lord. Whether you're coming to faith or whether you're growing in grace as a Christian, I think you could put this verse at the bottom. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. See, Jesus doesn't just tell us to go to the cross. He went there for us. And it's a theology of the cross and not of glory that we want to adopt, a la Martin Luther. So if God has been at work in me and the more He's at work in me, the more I'm willing to deny myself, die to self, take up that cross and follow Him. That's gospel seeking. Following Jesus, who was the A number one seeker and who has blazed the trail for us. Are you seeking God? Jesus' way. I know it's yes and no. I know there's much need for forgiveness and growth. That's true in all of us. And thankfully it is a work of grace that He's working in His people to make us God's seekers. To make us what we would not be if it were not for Him because no one seeks for God but being His children He has made us God-seekers. So let the Word clear your mind of myth. Embrace the truth. Just as George Washington did not have wooden teeth, there is no one who seeks God on their own. They must first be born again. No, and here's the flip side of that. No one ever truly seeks the Lord that does not find Him. Because seeking is a work of His grace. Trust in Christ and in Christ alone for your forgiveness of sins, for your righteous standing before God, for power to walk out this new life of joyful obedience because of His grace and the fact that He will take us all, all the way home. Entrust whatever loss you've had to deal with to Him. Entrust whatever gain you have to Him. Entrust life to Him. Because once we're born again, it should be and is by His grace, our great adventure, our pleasure, our passion, our pursuit, truly seeking, truly knowing, truly glorifying our glorious, good, and gracious God who has sacrificed His Son that we might be true God seekers to live as Christ Lord help us to embrace you help us to embrace your truth be at work in our hearts so that we will trust to you what we like and what we don't like what we understand and what we don't understand what we wish wasn't so but is so Help us to keep that cross right in front of our face and to know that you, Jesus, have suffered for us far greater than we will ever suffer for you. You sacrificed yourself to purchase us for yourself that we might, like you, 
be God seekers. Help us, Lord. Sometimes, some ways with some things, we don't see how we could ever do it. In some places where we don't think we need to seek you, we do. Diagnose our hearts. Keep bringing that scripture to mind where we pray for you to search us and try us and know us and see if there be any grievous way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. I pray for those who don't know you who may hear this message that you would grant them repentance and faith that they might turn and trust Christ. And I pray for us who do know you, Lord, that we would trust you, that we would love you, we would serve you, that we would seek you, and that we would do it all from a heart that has joy in it, that passes understanding, that has love for you that we didn't used to have, that is grateful for the cross, for the fact that we have a salvation that is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, revealed in Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. So help us to embrace you, Lord Jesus, to rightly understand your gospel and to walk with you and to trust you to take up our cross and deny ourselves and follow you. Help us, Lord. We trust you for it in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.